Bonjour. Bonjour. I'm Tamsin. I'm Kate. Welcome to the Dame de Paradis, a podcast about the art of lost living in rural France. We're neighbors and friends, and together we explore the gentle and seasonal gifts of a slowed down life in a quiet corner of Gascony. Some years ago, Tamsin showed me an abandoned ruin of a medieval convent in a hamlet called Paravi or Paradis. We joked that our rural French lives were nearly as heavenly and cloistered. The desire to reach out and exchange conversation was born. Welcome to these conversations and cake inspired by that first visit to meet the lost damned parody. Yeah, I was surprised that, so I planted some seeds when Peter came to help me. And he left, we did it right at the end of his stay, so that was probably about two weeks ago now. Um, I can't believe how much they've grown. Yes, they pop, they just pop. It, you know, we planted a lot of things right after Harriet got here in almost two months ago. Yeah. And they're just like barely, nobody wanted to grow. It was too cold. Oh, yeah. I knew that, even though the things were on the inside. Yeah. It still wasn't their time. And then when you understand they need a certain amount of, you know, the soil has to be certain temperature, the sunlight has to be so many hours in a day. It's like it doesn't matter if you put them in too soon because they're not going to grow until they're ready. Oh, yeah, because I was feeling, having seen your window display, that I was really late. No, you weren't at all. You weren't at all. I mean, I I did it partly because I just wanted to sort of, you know, feed into what we were going to do ahead of time. And also, I wasn't sure, like all the chili peppers, none of those seeds germinated because they were old and they had probably been stored. They were, I knew they were old. They were a couple of years. Usually they'll, you know, you can get a couple of years, but who knows if they get stored when they're damp or in a humid condition, they sometimes won't germinate later. So now we're just sort of redoing and these in that, which I just planted and they're up already are basil seeds Mm. because basil you have to put on the surface. They need light to germinate. Okay. So it's so interesting because I, so I've always received plants from everyone else who grows. I never actually sown my own. And so I, I, this is like probably your beginner's error (laughs) in that I spent, quite a bit of money on seeds and then when I opened the packet I was like oh this I'm gonna sound really naive here but it's like seeds are tiny they're so tiny yeah, there's some of them are so tiny I mean I'm not gonna grow all of these so they they all last me for 10 years you, they're, they're good for like two three four years if they're stored yeah air, in, in a fridge. dry putting them in the fridge yeah but keep them in something so they don't get humid okay. so like a Tupperware or yeah, you Tupperware know box. something that's uh, won't yeah. be humid I'm, enough. I think another week, and I will come to the second round of sowing. So I've sown. Oh, that's so exciting! I got. Well, you can also, if you by next week or so, you could be sowing into the garden directly. Okay. So things like beans and peas and those larger seeds are easy to just sow in the ground. Yeah. That you've started, you know. Then they'll. You don't have to transplant them because that's the big problem for me was space. Like I didn't have enough place to keep them warm inside. We actually moved things out too early. Doing this in the window was a help. Yeah. 
but um, you know, we lost a few things, but not much. So, and then things have grown. Some things have grown slower, and some have popped. I'm going to have to invest then because I've built my beds, and so I've got four pretty decent sized beds. They're like two meters long by oh god, just under a meter, probably eighty centimeters yeah. wide. And they've either got like rotten logs, leaves, or straw right, at the bottom. The bottom yeah. And I've packed the top full of, so there's mulch and soil, and then I've packed the top with about 10 centimeters worth of straw. Yeah. But if I put seeds in, I'm going to have to take the straw off. You're going to have to move the straw out of the way. Or what you can do is, depending on what you're planting, because one thing is, I'm always plant too many things too close together, mm. but then I, I, I always remember it was called French intensive. <laughs> but if you plant things, let's say you make a, a, a drill. I love all the vocabulary of gardening. So a, you know, a line in the yeah. dirt to put your seeds or your plants in. You can just scoot the straw away from that and then put the, mm. and then leave a little space. Then as the plants come up, you can just push the straw back around it. Yeah, that's a good right. idea. I, what I've loved doing is like, um, so there was loads of crap in the terrace that I just left. Like over the years, people have bought gazebos for the sun and mm. all sorts of stuff like that. So I've found all these like metal poles mm. and they've got um, like a plastic uh, junction. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, actually, Peter, because he's the gardener. Um, so. For listeners' uh, knowledge, Peter is a, a long-time uh, helper who's been coming out every so often for the last nine years, and uh, he's a retired duck farmer from Australia, <laughs> um, and he knows loads about electrics, and he, and he knows loads about gardens, and he just works at this very slow, peaceful... I think that this year was the first year that I, I was... Um, I just was really happy to learn from him in the garden because I had more time Mm -hmm. and before when he's come out to help I've always been too busy and I've left it to him so it was so much more enjoyable because he was the one that was leading me and said you know you've got to do it like this and so he he said to me well look don't throw this stuff away let's create a frame because the dogs, especially Edie, has decided that the beds filled with straw make a oh, really nice sun lounger. The dog in the manger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I keep finding her there. Like, um, and also the cats decided it's a great toilet. So there's this right. whole ecosystem going on between them. Yeah, so if I put a frame and a net over it, I'll hopefully protect it from the animals. Yeah, that works really well. Yeah. And I mean, I have that same thing with the cat. The minute we clear a bed, the cat decides that's her new litter box, his new litter box. And he, yeah, it's just like, get out of here. So yeah, little, little barriers until things can take off yeah. are good. I have a whole uh, bunch of rods uh, that like rebar iron rods used from building that... Um, Lisa, who was, uh, who is, but she, she's moved back to England, but she's a young um, organic flower farmer yeah. who lived here with her family. And she grew flowers here on my property when she ran a room at hers for a oh. while. And in fact, we still call this bare spat patch that we're going to plant in again, Lisa's garden, because it was just, she'd 
turned the soil over and added so much to it. It was so beautiful. Mm. And I've tried to keep it from being going back too wild all this time. But she'd used these metal rods to support uh, wire. Uh, it's like a uh, you put into cement to hold it, like a little grid. Mm. And so there was all of these things left around after she yeah. left. And I use them for all kinds of things, to stake something or to mark a row where I've planted something so I can tell what's weed and what's a plant when it starts to come up. So as you just use whatever you I might need your help for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's sort of interesting to see what does come up and you think we've got a whole patch of tomato plants out there that we didn't plant. I said they're in the compost uh -huh. because if the compost doesn't get hot enough to kill the seeds, you're going to get grass as well as other things. Yeah. But, um, so we'll see how they go. They may get transplanted around. And let's have a slice. Let's have a bite. Okay, I'm yeah, I, it was very hot. So just this morning made a little impromptu pastry with um, buckwheat, rice flour, uh, almond, ground almonds, and lard, which mm. is definitely gluten-free, but not vegan <laughs> but and it just made a basic pastry like 50 percent fat to the flour yeah. and then use some um melon confiture melon and vanilla confiture we made yeah. at the end of winter and some coconut sprinkles on top nice, nice. it's a really just a simple little tart mm. i find it's a cheater's way to use, uh, if especially homemade confiture jams on pastries, a nice base to put other fruit on or to put mm. over the top. Just give a little sweetness to it. Mm. It's quite tender. I like that. It's very subtle. I love um, melon jam, melon confiture. I love it. It's one of my favorites. It's really nice. And I haven't made, made some in mm. quite a while, so it's nice to do that. Coconut goes well with it. Goes really well. It lightens buckwheat as well because yeah. buckwheat's yeah. With I because I'm I'm not used to working with uh, gluten free flours. Cakes are a little more problematical, but pastry pastry is more forgiving. Then yeah. if you mix things, you get you know the benefit of one and the countering the flaws of another. And so, yeah. like rice flour on its own, this can be very powdery too. As well. Yeah, so you need just some of that and yeah. buckwheat can be too heavy so you put some of that yeah it's taking corn, a long time to fine, really fine cornmeal is nice yeah corn is also i mean i was thinking about this the other day you know i i probably it would be better for me to live in india <laughs> because the three staples of french diet are meat dairy and bread mm. patisserie mm -hmm. and now i do eat meat because i can't eat dairy or um, gluten so basically two-thirds of French food is off the is off the possibility but buckwheat is so uh, one it's a protein mm -hmm. so I like using buckwheat but it, yeah I mix it with chestnut flour a lot. Chestnut's nice too mm. yeah it has that sweetness and that lightness and one of my favorite bakers down the hill in the passage Pierre his bread is exceptional classic baguettes and mm. all the variations on the uh, flute ancienne or ficelle. And he always adds a little bit of chestnut flour mm. to his 
mix of uh, his regular wheat flour mm. he used and it gives it that slight sweetness and nuttiness to mm. it and it's light it's got that elasticity yeah we i never i mean i didn't really cook like i cook now anyway when i lived in england so i wouldn't have gone looking for chestnut flour and of course chestnut is used a lot in french food um but i chestnut flour or sometimes i use ha ground hazelnuts mm -hmm. Ground almonds can be quite heavy, mm -hmm. and they're good, but they can be quite heavy. It's quite nice to have things that are lighter, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's also nice to have um, a variety of things. So, you know, because we do, in French pastry, almonds are used all the time. Frangipan, ground almonds, and financiers, mm. lots of recipes, kind of mm. classical pastries have ground almonds in them. But this area grows hazelnuts. Mm. More, you know, more than we don't have almond trees here, and they are—they have a different, slightly different texture, you know, different mm. flavor, and they're really nice. Mm. Oh, I might have to go put her down for a little nap. <laughs> no, don't put her down. No. <laughs> oh, she's fine. She's no, she's over in here looking settled. out the window. It says the sun's come settled. out, which is nice. It's yeah. nice here, isn't it? Now sitting here so that you can actually see the seeds. Yeah, I've been dreaming about turning this whole area into a greenhouse. That's a good idea. You know, just sort of mm. go over to underneath the quince tree there, to the part of that little raised garden that I have for lettuce. And and then in the winter, it would be for, you know, I could do keep winter plants and I could keep then do all the seeds over here. In the summer, it would be very hot, so we'd have to have a shade. Yeah, that's, um, a great, that's like my garden room. So that... I don't know what that was used for originally, but I mean, it's called the garden room, so I've used it for that reason. And um, maybe that's another reason why the seeds have done so well. Is you've got enough light in there. They yeah. really need the light. Because and... the garden room has got floor to ceiling, so it's only one right. lean-to, but it's a properly constructed lean-to with a steel frame, and it's got floor to ceiling windows on two walls. So you don't need... I mean, that would be another way to have shade, because... It's tiled above. Right, right. So you don't have the light coming at you, and, and it gets hot yeah. in the summer. Yeah, I think you'd have to have a door, you know, like windows open so there was cross ventilation. On this side of the house, which is east, east and then south here, by mid-afternoon, this is in the shade. Mm -hmm. So in the worst of the summer heat, this would be cooler. Mm -hmm. um, but in the winter, you would get the benefit of all the morning till about one or two in the afternoon mm -hmm. sun. But now just looking underneath, it's sort of nice looking from down here. We're uh, up at the quince and apple tree are in blossom and crab apples also in blossom mm -hmm. there. So I'm looking forward to when I can open up this window. Oh, yeah. It's so here. beautiful there, is it? It does, takes a long time to grow a garden, doesn't it? But it does because you have to learn. A, you have to learn a lot. Like I didn't. I never had a garden until I bought this place, mm. and I had grown plants on the boat in pots, you know. And so I knew you had to water and you had to feed them, and that was all I knew really. And then it was learning about the soil, mm. the light, that where the sun is. What you know, even on this property, the very first place I put my first kitchen garden potager, I had dug down and I'd made all these, you know, 
beds and I planted things. And then the old man who'd lived here all his life married the farmer's daughter, Monsieur Dupuis. He came thumping down one day. He had two canes and two different Wellingtons on and a pith helmet. And he, he said, oh, mm, nice sort of the equivalent of nice garden. That's where I used to have my hangar, my hangar, which is where you parked your tractor and your garage, your carport. So the, comp the soil had been compacted for years and years and years of having machinery on it. And that's where I was trying to grow the garden. So that was, you know, just yeah. I didn't know the history of the place, obviously, yeah. and I didn't really look at the soil or understand. And then, then I um, planted a path. There was a path to the little bridge, and I planted. I wanted a sort of symmetrical on either side of the path. One side grew completely different from the other, and then I realized that all the fertilizer from the barn that we're sitting in now used to run out and down on this one side and not on the other. So this side had been fertilized for hundreds of years, the other side not. So of course it was going to grow things differently. Yeah. So symmetrical was out of the picture then. Yeah. So it was just time to learn and what gets sun and what, and then things change, trees come down or yeah. somebody builds next to you and takes some of your shade or yeah, so it's sort of now I feel like I know, I don't know a lot about gardening everywhere, but I know a lot about gardening here. Yeah. I know what will work here. That's the journey, isn't it, of understanding how your garden works. And I think I have a slight apprehension because I, this is really, I mean, I've grown vegetables on the terrace and you know bags and but I haven't I haven't made the effort that I've made this year of constructing the beds and I'm hoping you know I had a one of the local old boys came round um when I hosted the Ukrainian family and that was the first instigation of putting up the uh, vegetable beds and I had this kind of vision of us being like the um Waltons <laughs> And of course, self-sufficient yeah. women, women, you oh. know, doing their thing. But of course, they came from industrial Nipro and they'd never touched the soil ever. And they didn't really have a natural inclination towards it. Um, and so we just made our life easy and stuck to the pots on the terrace. And but lots of people came around to help us because they were really happy for us to be doing, you know, just I thought a garden is a great way to be able to spend your time and they just left their country and I thought it would be really nice for us to have a project together but it was not it wasn't so nice for them but in the support that we received this old guy came out and he had a look at the spot that I'd chosen to put the vegetables so it's kind of high up so where I am I'm above the morning mist so mm. I, I don't get the real sort of colder, frosty mornings. Right. And I've got the source in the garden. So it's the closest point to the source. So That's the most um, richest thing about your garden is that water. Yeah. Is that you've got water right there, free yeah. running, water, natural yeah. water, yeah. not been chlorinated or treated. No, and it and it's also comes off the hill behind, which is organic. So there's no fertilizers that come with it. And I will set up an automatic pump but I probably am going to need... So at the back of the vegetable patch is a rampart, which was part of the old castle that was built in the 1500s. And it must be about 
oh my goodness, um, six meters, seven meters high. So really, and it's yeah. south-facing my garden, so it takes the heat. It, it, yes, yeah. And what I might need to construct, because it's like a, a strip mm -hmm. in front of the wall where I put the beds, is a shade, just to give the plants a bit of a break, because it... it, it uh, unless, but I think unless you plant um, shade-loving, like, ornamental things, like hostas and... Your vegetables that. are going to want all that sun. You think about all the vegetables grown here in this valley are in plain sun. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're getting extra heat bouncing off the wall, but I, you've got water, so they're not going to be dry, which yeah. is important. And I think you're just going to find you can have a great growth there, especially for things that love the heat, like tomatoes yeah. and, you know, beans and so all excited. of that stuff you're going to have a great time doing that one of my yoga students follows me on instagram and she said i love following your your stories she said you're like a kid <laughs> <laughs> I like, it's fun to discover new things though isn't it, it yeah. really is. like lattice and things there might be too hot there if they're getting a lot of bounce back but in the early part of the year, it's in the winter, and in the early part of the year until it gets really hot, so you can change over. Yeah. You can plant, you know, get some greens and tender things early on, and then plant something else that needs. Yeah. Move that One over. thing it's making me less apprehensive about as well, because I'm in the garden now a lot more, is my epic wall story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tell me about that. Uh, you know, it's been a constant sort of um, thing at the back of my mind because the house is built into a hill. And so the back of the house, the, the top floor, um, well, the first floor and the attic, you can see from the road. But the ground floor where the kitchen and the living room and the garden room is, is built into the rampart. So the back is this earth and the front faces out to the valley and the first part of the garden is like a walled terraced uh a walled terrace garden yeah it's like a 100 meters long oh no probably about 60 meters long and maybe seven meters wide and supported by this big um stone wall stone wall like a a, a, a what do you call it a supportive Oh, what do you call them? Oh, a rampart. I want to say it in French. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, a, a retaining, a retaining, retaining wall. wall. Yeah, yeah, but it is a rampart as well. So I lost 20 linear meters of that uh, in 2019. It just slid down the hill because it was, it was damaged and I hadn't repaired it. And the other side is now damaged and really needs attention. And so I haven't got the funds to do it at the moment it's a big job and of course with the movement of the soil the house is fine because it's built on on stone but with the movement of a soil it's crushed the septic, the septic tank so i can no longer have guests at the house and it's been this real process actually you know you kind of think these big i mean people live in their homes here for years and years and years and anyone that i know yourself included, my neighbours, they all say the same thing. Don't worry about it. It's all part of the process and the evolution of living in here where I'm thinking, oh my God, 
<laughs> how am I going to fix this? And now I'm in the garden. I'm thinking about taking down the big shed that's in the terraced high-level garden that's built out of stone um, and pulling it down completely to take the weight off the earth. And then I was thinking, well, what if I didn't have a wall at all? What if I just let the whole thing become a hill? It looks elegant as a wall, but, you know, the cost of rebuilding it is huge. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I'm I'm stuck at the moment. I'm still in that position where I'm just watching. I'm just watching it. Well, the one thing is here, as you know, I was saying earlier, one of the riches of your property, as is mine, is water, as is all of this part of France for the most part, is threaded with all kinds of yeah. big river basins, smaller rivers flowing into those. And if you look at a map of France with just the waterways, there's like thousands and thousands of small streams flowing into bigger rivers. And and, and that all comes from groundwater that we're sitting on. Mm. And this house sits on water. My, you know, the house that's next door that was part of the farm. Yeah. So I actually called, dubbed it Water House because I knew there was water right underneath it. But people didn't live down on the ground floor. Mm. They lived above on the top floor and kept a cob for wine down below. Mm. And so you sort of have to look to see that there are is going to be shifts and changes always yeah. as well. Some things we control, some things we don't, mostly don't. Mm. And so you can't plan for everything ahead. Mm. And, you know, maybe there's another, uh, there's another step in that, you know, you terrace, you t- small terrace, like you see, like one meter high terrace wall, and then instead of a three-meter-high wall, you have three one-meter-high walls that then step, stair-step yeah. down. Because at some point, you do need to hold the retaining, retain the earth the house is, is yeah, sitting on. I do. But I, it, I suppose it's until you're in a space, until you know how you use a space, and how the light falls in the space. You don't really know what you want to do with it. And I mean, the, the land is, there's the three parts to the garden, the woods, the terraced um, walled garden, and then the field. Mm. And actually I was thinking it'd be so nice if there was a big pathway that connected all of it together. Mm. So it was much more free flowing and open, and it would provide access into the garden, which is really difficult at the moment because for the, from the bottom field. Yeah, and, I can yeah. build a road from the yeah. bottom. You um, need an Army Corps of Engineer to come in with a backhoe and just well, do some... I do, but, you know, I'm looking at my... So my, my neighbour, Henri, who passed away last year, his grandson has moved into the house, and he's 35, and I'm just watching what he's doing, and it it's just immense. I was thinking it really helps when you've got a family who... Uh, do all of that because they've bought, they've cut down all the trees, they've opened up the garden space, they've knocked down all the external barns that were blocking the light, they've got a digger in there at the moment, they've taken, so his house was like my house and the, the ground floor was an old barn and he's just knocked it all out to turn it into a kitchen and a dining room. So 
he is actually giving me hope. I was going to say encourage yeah. to do what you because it's true. When I first got this place, I didn't know that if I wanted another window, all I had to do is knock through the stone. I mean, to me, the idea of stone construction was very foreign anyway. And then seeing what other people do, you realize, like, oh, yeah, you can do that. Or, yes, we raised the roof a meter yeah. to accommodate. So we had a taller ceiling upstairs. You know, things I had never considered doing. Yeah. But until you see somebody else mess around and... Yeah, I think it's put, actually, it's not insurmountable. No, no. And the fact that actually people have been building like this for hundreds of years by hand. You know, they haven't... Now we have some machinery makes it faster. I might have to learn how to ride a digger. You could. <laughs> <laughs> that would I think be... our friends Allison and Trevor are going to have a digger soon. We need to talk oh to God. them. Yeah. yeah, they mentioned that. I mean, I did say openly when uh, the wall fell down because the house was my mum's that it felt really significant in that it was about rebuilding my foundations, and it pretty much has been. There go the fennel. The baby oh, yeah. fennels are going to go into the garden today. Oh, that's nice. Harriet, hard at work. Yeah. Actually, she doesn't look like she's hard at work. She looks like she's joyously moving yeah. around the garden, <laughs> having a great time. But it, you, it was interesting because um, when you talk about your experience working with Peter and learning alongside, so Harriet has been my working resident the last two months here, and she's a, a wonderful photographer and writer and creative spirit but had no practical gardening, having lived in the city and mm. in Sydney and various places. So it was sort of starting from scratch for her to learn. And I, being a little less nimble, would sit on a chair as, and tell her how to do things or, sh or talk to her about what we were doing. And then as she's grown in confidence and now she just, we have yeah. a little conversation about what's the next step. I've been... I've kept a journal, a garden journal, for years and years and years until, no, the last few years I kind of let it go. But I always scribble a plan at some point. So she found those early journals and started looking to see, like, oh, it's not all chaos, that there is mm -hmm. a plan, and you start with that, and, of course, you allow for changes. So she's acquired in two months, like, a working knowledge of how to start from seed to plant and yeah, I'd love to have a look at your journals. Yeah. They would oh, help me as well. I yeah. I'm sure. But what's good is I, I always thought I would do it so I would remember year to year what I planned, but actually I, I almost never do that. <laughs> I, but it helps me during the season if I've moved things, I've forgotten what goes in there or uh, it's more of a creative, like this is where I want to go with this. Mm. It's like a, visualization of like a landscape architect does a beautiful drawing for his clients and to get them to you know through mm -hmm. the construction phase of planting around a house and so for me that's sort of what it is it gets mm -hmm. me going to what I want to order for seeds or get for plants and then I realize like oh I have way too many tomato plants yeah. and I'll never use yeah I know you say it's interesting isn't it because it's just a record of how you began and I, you know, I'm intrigued because I, I don't know how. So for me, growing vegetables, it's really about being able to provide the, the food that I cook on retreat. You, you want to see one of my favorite books? Yeah. This, this um, 
is a book I've had for years and years. I now have it on my um, app, Kindle, as well. Oh. And um, it's by an Englishman, Robert Hart. A, I'm not sure what. Robert A. D. J. Hart. God, long name, isn't it? And um, he Forest was... Forest Gardening. Yeah, it's called Forest Gardening. And that was his terminology that he started. This is, I think, from the... I see what it was actually published... It's a British publisher, Green Earth Books. Yeah. And still available on what you can get it now, download it. It was originally printed in 1991. Um, and this is revised thing. Chica, we didn't need to hear from you there. No, Chica, go away. So he started, um, and he created what he called a forest garden. Some people called a woodland garden that... It was based on that he took care of his bro- his brother. They were old guys, old boys living together, and they couldn't keep he couldn't keep a garden like he um, always had, like a you know a, 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 a so he took his space and he looked at how he could grow food all over. There's a lovely um, drawing, and I'll put this up on the website so people can yeah. see it of the house, and then what was the, uh, this is where it began, a home garden close to the house, mm. and this was like his original garden, then there was a bog garden, because it was boggy, um, then he, he started creating, uh, planting trees, and underneath those trees, berry bushes, black currants, um, where he, he has a dancing ground, I love that, mm. in between, so he must have been a bit more fun than he came across yeah <laughs> but as it goes down he he creates hedges and a rose mound which was basically hugel culture which is building yeah. a mound of of wood rotted wood and branches mm-hmm. and then layering things over that but in all of these places he has um built food into so it's not just ornamental so underneath this, the, the different stories are fruit trees, dwarf trees, berry bushes, and perennial greens growing in the shade of the trees. Oh, that's so helpful. So you can really yeah. kind of look at your, your property and say you've got, like I have some raised beds for vegetables, but where we've just put outside, we've done something very similar to this rose mound which was to build up, Harriet built up with leaves and branches, compost, some soil over it, and then we'll put straw, and then we're plugging in plants. I had a lot of things in pots that just it's so get hard too to hot. Keep, yeah, exactly. So I put them all in the ground now yeah. and moved a couple little trees, you know, self-seeded and came up. And though that area now that used to be kind of a mowed lawn over on the west side of the house is going to, is the new forest garden. Yeah, and that you know, I'll put, I'll move some of the sorrel that I have here in the kitchen garden out there. Mm-hmm. I'll put some perennial greens that will come up. It's it's going to be a, I mean, that's so helpful. It's going to be a long term project because in my naive kind of, I just want to provide the food that I'm going to cook with on retreat. But of course, I've got an acre of land, and it's just an, it's going to be a it, a journey, and a lovely journey because I think. Know, you just notice when you do it yourself so I've always felt like this and that's why I value what I do because when you 
do what you're doing from seed to the table. It's so different when you invite people and you host people and you have not just gone to the supermarket. Right. And that what you're providing on the table has been considered all the way from the beginning of its creation and loved. And you, I become much more economical because I I can go in my my ex-husband used to say, I don't know why you bother with the garden. For $10, you can go buy all the vegetables you could carry here because, Sounds you know, like vegetables my... are so cheap here like and from the markets. And, and it's true, but when I grow something, I'll turn two tomatoes into a beautiful tart. Whereas I could go to the market and buy two kilos of tomatoes and then just kind of use them. Yeah, but it's the intention behind it all as well, isn't it? Because it's like when you've loved that tomato from the beginning and you just taste it in a different way. Oh, absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely. And when you have a a bad year, like a couple of years ago, we had blight. It was very wet in May, warm and wet, and that creates a condition for a type of, uh, blight. I don't even know what it is, but it's like a mild, mildew on tomatoes, and we, everybody lost their tomatoes. Yeah. You know, unless you were, they were greenhouse grown um, and under controlled environment. But all oh, home people, nobody had any tomatoes like we do, and everybody was yeah. bemoaning it. But I thought, but this year then we don't have it, so next year we're going to even appreciate it more. Yeah. But what do we have now? Well, it's because of Henri. Not you know, Henri used to um, he had a lovely potager. And he was up there every morning, 5.30 in the morning. And it kept him going. Absolutely. It was his, you know, Omri had these things in his life that were his staples. One was his potager. The other was he went dancing twice a week. And he did. Oh, that's great. And he also went to Balot, which is a card game. And he had his, you know, girlfriends. The French are secret dancers. They love, if you put... Uh, some music into any gathering in France, people start getting up and dancing. Well, they all know the steps. They do. They all have learned that. So they're, they're not cool. so secret about it, are they? They, uh, they practice. Yeah, they yeah. do practice. Yeah. I mean, he met his best friend, Jackie, um, when he was 14 at the Baltrad, which is a traditional oh, dance. Yeah. And when I first moved here, he took me to meet Jackie. And I think at this point, Ori thought, He's forty. He was forty-five years older than me, but I think he thought that I was his potential new girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> because we always said um, he lived at number fifteen and I lived at number seventeen, and he was born fifteenth of September, nineteen twenty-three, I think, and I was born, you know, seventeenth of September, nineteen seventy-four. Um, anyway, so this was always our thing. We were destined to be neighbours. And uh, I think Henri took that to the next level. <laughs> but when he took me to meet Jackie, who was four years older than him, Jackie was the accordion player at the Baltrad. <gasps> and it was just one of those magical moments. Went to Jackie's house with his wife, who'd made this beautiful cake, and they opened a bottle of, I don't know, you know, champagne. Champagne, yeah. And um, and Jackie played, I, I did it, I, I'll, I do it. What's the Frank? Oh, the yes, my way, my way, way, yeah. Which is actually a French song. Is it? Yeah, it was. There's a lot of songs that we think of as um, English, but they were French songs first. It was magic. I was sitting. Comme d'habitude. It was in French. Comme Mm. d'habitude. I just thought this is the sort of thing I just want to encapsulate forever, and then share it with my friends. And I didn't video it. I didn't put it on Instagram. It was just. It was even more magical and special than that. But. 
yeah, their life was, they, they all met at the dance. And yeah. They, yes, you did. You met at the dances, at weddings where people yeah. danced. And um, yeah, I think that the, even today, when you think about it, a, a lot of the community things that people would come together in a, in a rural area, like um, in the old days, threshing, um, or when the corn was harvested and the corn cobs were stripped, or grape harvest and winemaking, all those things brought people together at each other's farms or as a community. Yeah. And when that all became mechanized and modernized, um, it, it, that those community links kind of disappeared, except all of these small villages where we live have always maintained some fat or yeah. village fat, and there's always music. That's really an important part. And now the night markets, the Marché Nocturnal, it, all through our part of France, anyway, are very common. Yeah. My, most of them have some music and people get up and dance. But pretty much everybody as well. You know, like Omri would always say to me, oh, don't bother growing vegetables. It's such a faff. Just go to the farm shop. But those are the staple things that everybody does. And I think even my friends here who are producers, they also grow their own vegetables at home. Um, there's something we always used to get excited about Henri turning up at the front doorstep with a bag of We're always nice tomatoes. when we're, we talked about this the very first uh, podcast we did about how we were welcomed to the area by our neighbors. Yeah. And I think that's always one of the greatest things when I have now. Now my chickens are laying. So yeah. as they're not all laying, four of them are too lazy, yeah. two are too lazy. But, um, now I'll have enough eggs soon that I can start to share with my friends. And the idea of you, you have a little bit too, min, too many of one thing, so you share that, somebody else shares with you. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to have more vegetables than I can eat. The dogs eat, the dogs love eating vegetables, but um, it's a bit like my yoga classes were started by Sophie, who, who before the pandemic had a, um, kennels with the dogs. And she can't grow vegetables because she's got five dogs and they would just destroy her. Right. She has chickens. And so she turned up the other day with a box of eggs for nice. me. Nice. Yeah. And so they've all been watching me establish my garden. And I and I can become like Omri, which I kind of like. It's almost like You carry on from Yeah. Him. I'm becoming I'm not I'm not I'm I'm, you know I am, I suppose, in some ways an elder now, because actually in in rural communities here, at my age, I would be a grandmother. Yeah. If yeah. I had a followed the, you know, if I had a lived here all my life, I'd be, I would probably be a grandmother by now. But I haven't even a young grandmother. Touch base yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, one of the things that that's been happening in our area here, and and things to Harriet because she's a bit more, you know, because she's new and fra everything's sort of new and fresh here. She's been going for a walk and seeing the sign on the side of the road that said Fridays 5 to 7 à la ferme. But she asked me what was going on. I said, I don't know. I'm, they're selling something, but I don't, I don't know them. They're just like two roads down past the next bridge. Oh, yeah, they've got ducks and... And geese. so she went down there the other day. She and Carolyn took uh, Chica for a walk and went down and came back with a basket full of vegetables. So that little farm oh, that's cool. run by a young couple, a youngish couple, have in their barn set up like a little market oh, farm stand. Exciting. And they have 
everything that you would find sort of at the market. Oh, great. The onions and turnips and greens and... Oh, good. That makes uh, Yeah, so they're on a Friday afternoon or Friday, five o'clock. <coughs> and it's off the Pottery Club. Yeah, so there's there's uh, lots of little little activity like that now in the area. Instead of people selling... Used to be people sold their surplus of what they didn't use for their family or if they grew it for cash crop to the wholesale market in Ajan, which is a big like conglomerate market that people that might take vegetables or fruit, we're a big fruit growing area, up to Paris to sell, they would go to this wholesale market and my neighbors here would sell it, say, their strawberries. Mm. Now people are selling direct. They put a little sign outside the yeah. house so you know to go there. And it's but, really nice. It's kind of yeah. threading the community even stronger, the rural community together. Yeah. Which is really quite. I nice. like the way vegetables become. Um, I was going to say they become like part of your barter, but it's not really about barter. It's like you share. Yeah, yeah. So you're sharing your lives, and always there's always someone who comes along and offers some support that you need in some way, and it's nice to be able to say have a basket full of this in exchange. Yeah, take this with you as you go. Or yeah. you bring, instead of bringing flowers to somebody, you bring mm-hmm. them some haricot there. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to, to just say as on my little soapbox here, since we have a soapbox, <laughs> is that I occasionally somebody will write, and recently on a, on a Facebook group somebody wrote about how, you know, this part of France or France, French food in general, um, you know, isn't the restaurants aren't as good as there should be, blah, blah, blah. And I said, but the real good food here is at home. And what people cook at home, it's not just because, yes, restaurants have a certain level they have to aspire to to get their attention. But that's like you go out occasionally. You're not going to go out to a restaurant every day. And here, in the same way that um, people eat vegetables at home. You don't go get them in a restaurant. <laughs> but when you go, like I found in the early days, I would go to my friend, I would be invited for dinner to my friends, Beach and Claude. We'd go there. There'd be two meats always, a boiled meat and a roasted meat. So it might be a poulopo chicken and then a roast duck. There'd always be so much meat, you know, and um, some greens, and lots of lots of aperitifs and things, and then double desserts always. So you just felt like nobody ever ate any vegetables. And then one day I just turned up at the door at dinner time, knocked on the door, invited myself in, and they were eating a huge bowl of mountain of green beans, a barricover. Mm. That was dinner with a little bit of something on the side. And they wouldn't serve that to us as guests because that was not fancy enough for guests. But the idea that you really can make a meal out of a lot of vegetables is more a home thing. And the French do wonderful things with all their vegetables. Yeah. They just don't share it in the same way. I, I, I'm not, a, because I love to cook, and I suppose because I don't particularly eat lots of French food because I'm allergic to it. I um, I, I don't tend to go out uh, to eat, but I would say if you want to eat in this area, the best food is often the little relay restaurants. Yes. The artisan restaurants, you know, it's like 13 euros for a four-course meal. One of the best in the world is just, just down, down here at Bruges. Yeah, and they're so sweet. Yeah. And I love going there because she always says, how are your dogs? <laughs> 
um, and she accommodates the fact that I can't eat certain things and and they're really the heart and soul because that's where your local community yeah, comes. They're, they're not pretentious. The village cafes were really and everybody, all the working men, because people have an obligation to feed their employees at lunch, either by providing a meal check, a yeah. restaurant check, or a lunch. They uh, so all the plumbers, all the electricians, even the cops, motorcycle cops will stop yeah. there. The whole it'll be full like twenty twenty five working men at long tables set up and then a few of us tourists. It's, it's like the equivalent of the British pub because the pub in England is where you um, you go at the end of the day and you unwind and it's where you network and you right. talk about your day, your business. It's where you find, find possibilities and work, where you meet your friends. It's my mum and dad met in the pub. My sister met her first husband in a pub. And it's a bit like that here in a way. It's like you, you keep in contact with everybody. Um, yeah, you, everybody knows what's going on, what's yeah. happening with you. And yeah. you haven't showed up for a while, so they wonder how you're doing. And then yeah. they see you. And and I think one of the things, too, I love about that little cafe is that as long as I've been going there, I don't think I've ever eaten the same thing twice. No, I haven't. They always, it's like they just make up things. And it's home cooking. Everything's from scratch. And if they've put... You know, uh, roast pork on the, if it's the plat du jour, if they run out, they'll open some jars of confit chicken and put it with chips. And there's all, there's just always something they can she's open and sweet. pull it. Yeah, she's they're very, very sweet. Very... She's so funny because I, I remember saying this in one of the other podcasts, you know, it's polite here to reserve your space before you right. go. Because they need to know that you're... Because it's like you're going to their house. Right. And how many are they going to cook for? Yeah. And I, I always forget. And so I always turn up last minute. I walk, you know, often I go with the dogs. And it's uh, about two and a half kilometers from my house. I'll walk over the hill to go for lunch. Anyway, I thought I'd got there on time the last time. It's like 12.30. And I thought, I can't, can't be bothered to cook. It'd be really nice to go there. And <laughs> he was so grumpy. <laughs> Because you showed up late, yeah. I said, but I'm like, you know, I'm only 30 minutes beyond lunchtime. But, you know, it used to be an embarrassing saying, if you come to France now, you really need to stop for lunch before 1 o'clock. If you come into a restaurant after 1, they don't want to serve you. No. Because the way that the employment laws were, yeah. they changed. We had that 35-hour work week for a minute. And what happened is they wanted to send off the cook as early as possible at the end of lunch because they're going to come back for dinner. Even that place does not open for dinner. But everybody yeah. shifted and lunchtime became shorter. So if you wait too late, you won't be served. Like I went to a restaurant yeah, and, and this it was just like one o'clock and this waitress was ch chiding me about it yeah. and said, I said, could we have a table? There's plenty of room. And she said, c'est juste, c'est juste. It's just, you're just on the limit. I said, it's only one o'clock. And lunch is 12 to 2. And it's like, no, you start at 12, you end at 2. You don't come at 10 minutes to 2. We should go there sometime together. Oh, yeah, we should we definitely. Do it as a podcast. Yeah. So, oh, we could do podcasts from there. There's yeah. lovely murals on the walls that are that historic part of the building. Yeah. That, are, that would be fun They're to really show old, that. Old yeah. I, I want to go. Or have, we'll have to do it as a podcast and take a picture of the wall because every time I go in there, 
So the mural is beautiful because it's in deep, uh, deep sort of emerald greens, forest greens, and it's got these figurative designs. The silhouettes of, from the Napoleon the Third or oh, okay. Napoleon the Second well, era. I want to paint the whole place because it's in white with yeah. strip lighting, yeah, <laughs> and a burgundy back backdrop behind the bar, and I want to paint the whole place in emerald green because oh. I keep thinking. It would just bring it alive. Yeah, it would look incredible. Yeah. Um, maybe one day I'll say that to her. Yeah, you volunteer to do that. Can yeah. I come and paint your restaurant? Yeah. Have you ever been in the back room? There's a dining room way in the back. No, I Past the ba- where the bathrooms are. In the back, there's uh, bathrooms and a washing sink. So when the work guys come in, they go in and wash their hands. And, oh, yeah. And then behind that, and the, because they used to serve Sunday lunches, and that was always in that back. It's a big room. It's as big as what you see in front. Oh. Well, let's and they it. would do like a sun. I don't, don't think they do Sunday lunches. No, anymore, they don't. They're only open Monday. This is the second Monday. sister now. The first, the parents used to run it. Then yeah. the older sister now, the second sister runs it. Oh, okay. It's been family all that time. Yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's take yeah. people to lunch with us. Oh, that'd be great. Cafe de la Paix. See Cafe you there. Cafe de la Paix. Yeah, and we can... Uh, Next chat, work out where our plants are going in the garden. Yeah, that's great. We can do a little walk around. Hopefully it won't be raining that day. And we can yeah, walk we were going to do that today, weren't we? But it's pouring Yeah, rain, it's just started so. again, yeah. It's just nice to think. Well, I feel really inspired and encouraged. And uh, that book is great. So that will help. Forest garden and gardening. And I'll put it on the website so you guys can know how. And there's another one that is sort of a was the next generation, How to Make a Forest Garden, yeah. which um, Robert Hart wrote the foreword to this book. So okay. it kind of carries on the idea that you can do more perennial edibles in your garden. And I'm going to get myself a nice notebook and a lovely pen, because I love any excuse to get a notebook and a pen, oh, and start my garden journey. Great, great. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. It's been lovely. Thanks for coming over for Delicious cake. cake. <laughs> Cake and coffee. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.